0: You're tuned into to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at Newstalk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more Living with Jim Brogan starts now.
1: Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and, you know, retirement will undoubtedly be a great, a time of great change. You know, you'll take a step back from work, maybe start doing some of the things you've always wanted to do. Maybe you had planned on traveling or spending more time at your vacation home, or visiting friends and family you haven't seen in a while. But this past year, and really the past two and a half years since the pandemic hit, have reminded us that the world around us can change, and we should do what we can to prepare. We can see continued changes to the economy and our income plans, for example. That's why a solid financial plan is more important for today's retirees than it has ever been. And now's the time to start planning. We've got choppy markets. We've got inflation. We've got concerns moving forward of recession. So whether you're worried about whether the economy is or where it's headed, how Social Security may change soon, or how to optimize your IRAs, Clarity on what to do next can help you make the most of this difficult time and can even help you carry the spirit of giving with smart gift tax strategies, which is, of course, something we want to think about as we head into the last quarter here and into the holidays and our year-end tax planning. So in today's show, we're going to discuss these concepts and more. We'll talk about an update on the economy Big news this week with both employment numbers and inflation numbers. We'll talk about Social Security uh, expectations for 2023. They've come out with the new numbers. It's the biggest increases increase in Social Security cost of living adjustment we've seen in a long, long time. We'll be re- we're going to talk about reassessing your retirement accounts and how you manage putting money into those and taking money out of those. And we'll do a refresher on charitable giving uh, as we head into the holiday season. Uh, So hopefully we'll answer some of your common retirement questions that you might have and talk about potential solutions for some of these problems. Now is the time to prepare for some of these pitfalls. So before we jump into the nuts and bolts of certain strategies you can use to optimize your retirement finances for 2023, First, let's, let's look at the state of the economy. Let's look at the indicators and factors that are shaping the economic outlook for 2023, and it may have an impact on the decisions you make with your retirement. The September jobs report came out, and it was 263,000 jobs were added. That was less than was expected by about 50,000 jobs. But unemployment is still at about 3.5%. Those are pre-pandemic levels, very, very close to what we consider full employment. Now, I know one of the things that I get asked a lot when I'm out and about in the community is this idea of full employment and the fact that, you know, so many people aren't really looking for jobs and they don't count against those unemployment numbers. And that is correct. So if somebody's just given up looking, that doesn't count. Uh, but, in t- maybe maybe more importantly, the way the Fed looks at employment, they look at the official numbers, and unemployment is not an issue right now. And that's imp- an important factor I'm going to circle back to here in a minute. Uh, the, uh, the average hourly earnings over the last year have risen 5% from a year ago. Now that's slightly below the estimate, but they have gone up by 5%. So what we're kind of seeing is we're starting to see slower hiring and less wage increases than expected. And that means that the hot job market may be cooling down, which is good, for, good news for the Fed. Because slower raises in wages means less inflationary pressure to address. And this is something I've been talking about for a while, that until we see an ease on labor inflation, I don't see how inflation can can come down as much as the Fed's wanting. It seems like with, it, with labor inflation where it is, it, it causes inflation to be very, very sticky. And... Uh, so, so seeing signs of the hot job market cooling a little bit, may be a good thing in terms of where inflation's headed. Now, then the inflation numbers also came out this week, and they were a little bit higher than expected. Core inflation was up 0.6 percent month over month, which was uh, it was expected to be 0.4 percent for core inflation. And the CPI was up 8.2% over the last year. That's year-over-year year inflation. Uh, as And it was expected to be 8.1%. So just slightly higher. But as we have continued to see, inflation is stickier than continues to be sticky. Um, now, one of the things that is kind of interesting <clears throat> is inflation in the service sector is now higher than in the products than in the product side of things and that's a rather interesting shift as well and that's why the, the idea that the the hot job market is starting to cool off may be very very important but when we look at all this together you know we have we have high inflation continuing to persist we have unemployment that is still very low, uh, really considered almost full employment. Let's look at what the mandate is from the Federal Reserve. The mandate, there's a dual mandate. One is to have is to stabilize prices, which we have not had in about a year and a half because of inflation. Uh, and then the other mandate, though, is full employment. Well, we're pretty much there. So what this means is the Fed is likely to continue to be aggressive in raising interest rates because the employment numbers, while the, the job market is starting to show signs of softening, um, we, we don't see unemployment creeping up. Now, eventually, I do think we will see unemployment creep up and, and go from 3.5% to over 4 I don't know how long that will take. But I think the Fed, what this means, the Fed's going to continue to aggressively increase interest rates. Now, the other side is, as you may have seen, the OPEC meeting on uh, recently signaled further inflationary pressure because OPEC decided to cut oil production by $2, million, by two million barrels a day. And that could drive oil and gas prices up back higher Uh, after weeks on a downward trend. And, you know, much has been made politically of what's going on. The bottom line is we've already seen gas go up. So when we add all this together, I think what it means is we're going to continue to see the Fed more than likely raise interest rates pretty aggressively. They want to get their arms around inflation. I do think at some point we're going to see unemployment numbers starting to creep up. Does this all lead to recession down the line? I think it probably does. Uh, But remember, that doesn't mean the stock market is going to go down more because the market, you know, just remember the stock market is looking forward. The stock market is pricing, hey, where are we going to be in six months, not where are we right now. However, when we look at the market, and one thing I have maintained since really Early this year, and certainly in the spring, is that until there's a, we see that we have hit peak inflation and inflation is coming down, I think we're going to continue to see very, very choppy markets. What is the Federal Reserve going to do? What is that going to do to the economy? What is that going to do to economic growth? And until we see that stuff come down, inflation, and we see Federal Reserve policy get less aggressive on hiking interest rates. And and remember, behind the scenes right now, the Fed is doing quantitative tightening. So they are pulling money out of the economy. So that, more than likely, all this is going to lead to a contraction in economic growth. And that's why you're seeing the stock market behave somewhat irrationally and certainly in a volatile way. So, how? what does this mean for you? This means several things. One, you need to be looking at the balance in your portfolio. What does your current balance look like and what does your current risk look like? Have you measured risk? Have you measured the balance of your funds? How long has it been since you've rebalanced and really measured all of those things? Uh, The bond market right now, as an example, has been, in my view, probably oversold. Does that mean it's going to rally in the next three months? I don't know. Probably not. But at some point, we may see a bounce in the bond market. But the bottom line is, you need a lot of diversification and balance to try to mitigate the effect of some of this volatility. And then also, you've got to have... Secure and stable income sources that aren 't tied to the stock market, and that is such a critical component of retirement planning is having stable and secure more secure investments that are not going up and down like the stock market, where you're not subject to that volatility where you have the key is you don't want to be selling off shares of investment. And spending that money while the market is sharply down, it's okay to sell something while it's down and reinvest it, but you never want to sell it and spend it because then you'll compound your loss that money'll never come back because you've spent it so you know if you're taking interest in dividends dividends from stocks, you know that's okay if you're not- sh- if you're not selling shares but a high dividend policy you know doing a high dividend approach to stock investing can also be dangerous because then you're you're shrinking your universe of potential stocks to buy. <coughs> also, if they have high dividends, what do they do when the market, you know, if the economy continues to contract and those companies have problems paying those dividends, they could potentially freeze or slash their dividends. Um, so you know, the, the bottom line is you don't want to be selling shares of an of a stock type of investment, of a mutual fund, an ETF, a stock, or stocks to generate income in turbulent times. So you need an income plan where your income comes from stable and secure holdings. Uh, and then, as I said, re you know, look at the balance and risk in your investment portfolio. And is it the right mix? Where are you now? Where do you need to be to be secure? Are you already there? Can you create more security in your plan? Um, don't go too far the other way either. Markets historically are very resilient. And the best way to beat inflation in the long term historically has always been the U.S. stock market. The key is to have a lot of balance and exposure to to not only U.S. stocks but other types of asset classes where if one thing zigs, another zags. That way if one thing like stocks is way down or stock funds, hopefully everything is not way down. So word of the day, I think we're going to continue to have choppy markets for a while because inflation is proving to be uh, very sticky or persistent. And until that comes down and the Fed... Uh, stops hiking interest rates aggressively, I think we're just going to see a lot of choppiness. Now, remember, volatility can mean up and down. You know, on, on earlier this week, when the inflation report came out, stocks rallied significantly. So there's nothing rational about that. So we're seeing a lot of up and down and up and down. And so don't try to time that stuff. Have a good financial plan that's built for the long term. And the way you focus on the long term with your stock and market investments is by having stable and secure sources of income in the short term. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about expected changes for Social Security. One of the largest cost-of-living adjustments we have ever seen. And Medicare premium, is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? How does all this affect your checks next year? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk ninety eight Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk ninety eight seven WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, your host. It is the third Saturday of October. That means Tennessee, Alabama. Of course, many, many times in the last 20 years, it's been also the fourth Saturday of October, but I know everybody's ready and getting ready for the big game. Uh, Today, we're talking about preparing for 2023, and we started by looking at the current economic realities that we face in the choppy markets. Let's talk about Social Security. It's about to look a lot different. For many years, Social Security was expected to cover a modest portion of your income. Uh, The saying goes, what you hear the government say, 40% of your income is designed to be replaced by Social Security payments when you're retired. While this is a good rough estimate, inflation may increase your payments significantly through what are called cost of living adjustments, or COLA. In fact, if you're retired you already got one of those to the tune of 5.9% last this year. But what about this year going into 2023, you know, with what we've seen with inflation, what does that mean for social security? We are looking at the potentially the I think it's the largest increase in 40 years. And that is an 8.7 percent cost of living adjustment to your Social Security income. So that means, you know, to use simple math, if if um, if you're drawing two thousand a month from Social Security, that means your income is going to go up over 170 dollars a month just for Social Security cost of living. Now you don't have to already be drawing Social Security in order to see that increase in your base Social Security rate because what happens is when you look at your Social Security estimates that you can get at SS.gov and if you haven't done that I I strongly encourage you to do that uh, from the government website set up an account look at your earnings history see what's estimated for you but everybody's social security benefit goes up. So if you're not drawing yet, and you look at your social security earnings statement, literally come January, that number is going to be bumped up 8.7%. So that's a little bit of a myth. Sometimes I hear, oh, I need to go out and draw my social security so that I'll see that 8.7% increase. No, everybody will see it. Uh, So just be aware of that. That's a big increase. Now then, When we see that, one of the main things we may think is, well, what about Medicare premium? Because oftentimes, Medicare premium also goes up substantially, and that ends up offsetting a lot of the Social Security cost of living adjustment. Last year, the Social Security, or excuse me, the Medicare premium went up 15% roughly. It went up like $24, $25. Well, believe it or not, Medicare premium is going down next year. It's going down $5.20. So this year it was $170.10 for most people. For Medicare Part B, it is going down to one sixty four ninety. That means Part D will go down slightly. That means the Medicare tiers, where you get premium adjustments, income-related Medicare adjustments, if you make more money, Um, all of those tiers are going to be going down. And when I first saw that, I thought, how in the world are Medicare premiums going to go down with inflation being the way that it is? And the reason is there were some allowances in 2022 to cover projected Part B spending on a new drug. And that spending was much lower than projected. So there was consequently a larger reserve in the part b account of the supplemental medical supplementary medical insurance trust fund that's used to calculate future part b premium increases and so because of that retirees are getting the benefit of that going down and again if you're not already there you're not already on medicare or you're already not on social security Uh, Don't worry, this still has a a big effect on you because the base rate for Social Security is going up for everybody 8.7%, even if you're not drawing. Uh, And then the base rate for Medicare is going down by $5.20, which then resets moving forward. If we have a premium increase next year, it's, it's increasing off of a lower number. If we have an inflationary adjustment next year, it is adjusting off of a higher number. And that affects all of us, whether we're already drawing Social Security or already on Medicare or we are not. Now, historically, let's look at Social Security benefits. Historically, over the last 20 years, actually uh, since since 2000, the turn of the century, Even with cost-of-living adjustments to Social Security benefits, the average Social Security recipient has seen a decrease in purchasing power of about 33%, about a third. So in other words, even if the Social Security income has gone up for cost-of-living, it still buys a third less than it used to. So to use easy round numbers, if your benefit at age, or excuse me, if your benefit in 2000 was twenty one hundred dollars a month, today it may be. I don't know what it would be. I'd have to calculate that. But if it was twenty one hundred a month in 2000, maybe now it's gone to twenty eight hundred a month. But in terms of what that feels like, that feels like in 2020 or if we go back to 2000 instead of $2,100 a month, it feels more like 1400 a month. So you've you will have lost a third of your purchasing power. And so what that means is, if you look at future income in retirement, based on history, Social Security does not keep up with the true cost of living. And this is based on CPI numbers, and the reality is, many of you in retirement would tell me, Jim, my, my my expenditures are going up more than what they're selling us. When you look at what you spend on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis, food, gasoline, p- drugs, all the things that you buy regularly, you may say it's going up more than 8% in the last 12 months. It's gone up by 15%. So where I'm going with this is the cost of living adjustment for Social Security It is a good adjustment. But historically, Social Security is not going to take care of inflation. It's going to lag. So that means over time, you're going to need more and more potential withdrawals from your life savings to supplement Social Security and other income that you have. And that's where your financial plan, your income and investment plan comes into play. And that's where, again, long-term growth becomes very very important now I get a lot of people at, say to me especially as you get deeper into your 70s Jim at our age we, we we don't have a lot of time to go through these choppy types of markets. well I mean at 78 years old if that's you I mean is it how do we need to worry about what things may cost in 10 years at 88? Or even in 13 years at 91, you better believe it. Because if you're married at 78 years old, it's likely one of you is going to live to about 95, 96 years old. So we need to be thinking long term, even if you're in your late 70s or even early 80s. And you're going to need growth. And historically, the best way to get growth is with a diversified balance portfolio. The big thing is you just don't want to take too much risk, and you want to be diversified. All those things I talked about in the first segment, you want to have balance and diversification, you want to measure risk, and you want to have stable holdings that you draw short-term income from. Now then another thing that becomes critically important in this inflationary environment is your Social Security election. And your tax planning, all of these things become even more important when we have a highly inflationary environment. If you can pay less tax, that's a good thing, obviously that means more money in your pocket. Um, if you maximize excuse me if you maximize your social security election, that also helps you maximize your your battle with inflation, the effectiveness of how you fight inflation. So all of these things are very, very important. When we come back, I want to talk about reassessing our retirement accounts, our IRAs, our 401Ks, our 403Bs, and Roth options. What makes most sense in terms of how you accumulate money and how you distribute that money, which is a huge part of your tax planning strategy in retirement. And as you start thinking about retirement. So don't go away. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 W.O.
0: Welcome back to Newstalk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is Newstalk 98.7 WOKI, and we're talking about retirement planning and getting set for 2023. Uh, My next college class is actually this, um, it's actually this Tuesday night, the the next two Tuesdays, uh, Financial Survival, or excuse me, Thrive Financially in Retirement is at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley on the next two Tuesday evenings, uh, the 18th and the 25th. Uh, you can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com for more information. You can download a syllabus at 6.30 to 8.30 both nights. Um, I'd love to see you there. Now, I'm also doing a one-night tax planning class on November the 8th at Pellissippi Hardin Valley. Tax planning in the new age. We're really dive into a lot of effective tax strategies. You can find all of these upcoming classes both at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Uh, At my website, BroganFinancial.com, click on Classes, and then you can click links there to go to pages specifically about those college classes, and you can also click to register directly with Pellissippi State for the upcoming classes. My next class through the University of Tennessee is not until early February, so for the rest of this year, we've got next week at Pellissippi State and then November the 8th, the one-night tax planning class. I would love to see you there. Now, when it comes to tax planning, our retirement accounts is one of our biggest sources of both opportunity and tax costs. So let's reassess our retirement accounts. Retiring nowadays likely means that you'll be utilizing either IRAs or 401ks or 403bs in one way or another. Now that you're thinking about using those accounts to fund your retirement as opposed to when you're contributing to them, you should know how you can strategically use them to avoid penalties or to avoid paying more taxes than you should in a singular year. So let's talk about this a little bit. We've got two major categories. We've got traditional retirement accounts, and in that bucket, There's a myriad of letters and numbers, IRA, 403B, 401A, 457, TSP. Uh, There's actually close to 25 different letters and numbers, and those are sections in the Internal Revenue Code, by the way. And then there's the Roth option. There's a Roth option to an IRA and to a 401k. Let's put them in those two general categories. Obviously, on a traditional retirement account, you get a tax deduction when you put the money in. So it is not taxable as ordinary income. Then when you pull it out, it is, it is taxable. So you're deferring those taxes to a later date. And the thought it always been, has always been when you're retired, you, your income will not be as high. So by deferring that taxable income to a later date, when your taxes are lower, you'll minimize your taxes and maximize your investment return. With a Roth, you get no tax deduction up front, so it doesn't help you now, but then later on, after you've held it for five years... It then becomes tax-free. Now, of course, there are ages to be aware of. 59 and a half is the biggest age that, you know, there's a lot of rules for taking money out pre-59 and a half. we We're not going to do a, a lot of detail on those rules. That's probably for a separate show. But the bottom line is most people have, ret- you may have accumulated a lot of money. A lot of your net investments are in your retirement accounts. And while those are great places to accumulate money, the problem is when you take them out, they're fully taxable unless they're Roth with what I see in my office most people come in and have much much larger traditional balances than they do Roth so let's talk about quickly the difference in the last 10 years you're working versus the first 10 years of retirement because this is where you can really do a lot of effective tax planning with your retirement accounts for the most part your last 10 years of work are your peak earning years so when you then transition into retirement in the first 10 years what is your taxable income going to look like in those first few years of retirement and for a lot of people your taxable income is going to be a good bit lower now don't assume that you need to put numbers on that because for many people your taxable income in retirement may be just as high or, or close to it. But that's something that should be used and analyzed in calculating how you handle your retirement account contributions in your last 10 working years. Should you go into traditional 401k? Do you have a Roth 401k option? You know, if your taxable income is going to be a good bit lower in those early years of retirement, you probably want to go traditional. But then what happens at age 72 when you trigger those required minimum distributions? So we got two, two big things. We're look, now we got three things we're looking at. What's your taxable income in those last 10 years of working? What's your taxable income likely to look at in those early years of retirement? And then what's your taxable income likely to look at once you're 72? And for most people, there's a sweet spot between the day that you retire and age 72 when you have to start taking your RMDs, required minimum distributions. And that's the time you can really make hay with things like Roth conversions, uh, doing some capital gain and capital loss harvesting, capital gain harvesting particularly where you intentionally realize capital gains, is an extremely powerful tool that I have found is almost never looked at, very, very rarely looked at. I would say it's the most overlooked area in tax planning, is taking intentionally taking capital gains when your taxable income is potentially low in those early years of retirement. Because guess what? If, you're, if you and your spouse are 65 or older but you're not yet 72, you can have almost $110,000 of total income that shows up on your tax return, and any piece of that that's long-term capital gains is zero. Zero. We have a zero percent tax rate in the Internal Revenue Code, and it's the t- potential tax rate on long-term capital gains. Then, once it kicks in, long-term gains for almost for most taxpayers are always lower than ordinary income rates. So gain harvesting, people talk a lot about loss harvesting, taking capital losses and reinvesting in an investment that is substantially different because there's there, you know, you can't take a loss and immediately reinvest in that same security or a security that is very, very similar. Uh, But you can do it with a gain. There's no rule on reinvesting when you take a gain so we we you know how we contribute to a retirement account is it are we doing a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k if you cannot do a Roth if if Roth 401k is not available to you because Roth 401k there's no income limitation you you know you you cannot make too much money to contribute to a Roth 401k but there are limits on Roth IRAs but if you don't have a Roth 401k option, are you then eligible to do Roth IRA? But if your earning years are a lot higher right now than they're gonna be in those in retirement, maybe you should keep doing the traditional. Then once you retire, you've got this sweet spot before age 72, where you can really, a lot of our clients have been able to do a lot of very effective tax planning to be intentional about taxes we pay now and in the future, and then working with your CPA to make sure those things flow through properly when you prepare your taxes every year. And then at age 72, you're going to lose some control because of those required minimum distributions where you have forced taxation. So you're going to lose some control, but you're still going to have opportunities potentially for effective tax planning. And remember... We're always shooting for a moving target. Tax rates are going to change in the future. They are going up for most taxpayers at the end of 2025. In just over three short years. Our tax rates are going up. Our standard deduction is going back down. Likewise, what's going to happen in Congress? Congress is going to change. And then... In the long term, what happens with future tax rates? We don't know. That's a moving target. But with our deficit spending and our federal debt, there's a real risk, in my opinion, of taxes going up more than they already are going to be going up uh, over the next 10 or 15 years. So tax planning is a way, when, when we've got inflation and choppy stock markets and rapidly increasing interest rates, Uh, Tax planning is a way we can bolster our return because remember it's not how much you make it's how much you get to keep so if you look at gross income minus tax you get your net if you can lower that tax bill you know your gross earnings may not be as high over the next decade with these choppy markets but if so the gross income may not be as high but if you can lower your tax bill maybe you can still bolster that net return and be able to fight inflation more effectively. Now for our last segment, as we get closer to the holiday season, let's refresh our gifting skills before the holidays and how we use charitable giving effectively as we plan for uh, both making impact and saving on our taxes. So don't go away. You're listening to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can catch our podcasts of all of our shows at Broganfinancial.com and click on radio. Uh, my next class, Thrive Financially in Retirement through, through Pellissippi State Community College is at their Hardin Valley location coming Tuesday night, the next two Tuesdays. So that is October 18th and 25th. You can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com for more information. And then my last class of the year is through Pellissippi State on November the 8th. It's a one-night class, Tax Planning in the New Age. And I think because of these choppy markets and inflationary conditions, as I've just discussed, tax planning is becoming even more important to your long-term success. You can go to PellissippiTaxPlanning.com to find more information on that. We're headed into the holidays very, very soon. And let's refresh our gifting skills. You know, when the leaves change color, weather's getting a little cooler, it's time to start thinking about the holidays. Whether you most enjoy the fun of Halloween or the coziness of Christmas or Thanksgiving, the holidays are a time for family, friends, food, and festivities. No matter which one of the winter holidays are your favorite, this is the season of giving. Giving can play a very important role in your financial strategy if planned properly. So let's first let's talk about giving to those that we love. What are the gift tax rules? Where what can we do giving wise before we worry about tax implications? You can give $16,000 per year in 2022 without doing any kind of claiming. You don't have to file a tax return, there's no tax implication. You have to look at what you're giving. I mean, if you're giving a stock and you sell the stock, there might be a tax implication there. But the, the, the or if you're taking money out of an IRA to give it, you have to you know you have you can't just give IRAs to somebody. You have to take the money out and pay the tax first. But the the act of giving that money does not trigger a tax. So you can do sixteen thousand dollars. A married couple can automatically do thirty two thousand for double. Okay. Uh, you can do more than that, but you, what you'll be doing is you will be claiming part of your gift, your uh, inheritance or estate tax exclusion at death. So right now, you can pass just over $12 million to your loved ones, with to, to anyone other than a spouse who is a legal resident in the United States. So, you know, there's no gifting or estate tax implications giving from spouse to spouse. But when it goes to your kids... You can, you can leave $12 million, but, but now that's getting cut in half in 2026. But if you want to give more than 16000 or 32000 if you're married, you can do that. You just have to claim it against your future exemption from estate taxes at death. So there is a return that is supposed to be filed. That's important to understand if you're wanting to put your kid's name on your house. That's technically a gift. How much is that gift, and does it require a gift tax return? Now, I don't recommend putting your child's name on your house. Some people do that to avoid probate court. The problem is, what if your child is in a car accident and gets sued? That could be a problem. They could take your house. So, um, you know, that's another subject for another day, but, but basically you can give 16000 per person per year without any type of a gift tax. Now, what about charitable gifts? You know, the, the Internal Revenue Code has been written by Congress in a way to incentivize giving money to tax-exempt organizations, churches, and 501c3s, which are charities. The reason being is the thought is these churches and charities can be more efficient with your money in serving disadvantaged people than or people with other needs than if you give it to the federal government. That's why the tax code is structured the way that it is. But with changes in the tax laws, we have to be really aware of how we're utilizing our giving. You know, over 90% of taxpayers now, it's estimated are not itemizing deductions. You know, if you make a $5,000 gift to charity and you're not itemizing your deduction and you're taking a standard deduction, you're not getting any tax benefit off of that charitable gift because you're taking the standard deduction. And retirees more and more don't take standard deductions because they have their homes paid for and they don't have those home interest deductions. Now with the high deduction where it is at almost twenty six thousand dollars now for a joint filer and almost thirteen uh almost thirteen thousand dollars for a single filer you could bunch your deductions you know double up in one year on you know in other words give for 2023 and 2022 pay your 2023 property tax in 2022 and double up on your property taxes this year now there is a 10,000 dollar maximum deduction in one year but you know most of my clients they could double up on their property taxes and still be under that 10,000 so bunching deductions is an effective way to be smart about how you do your charitable giving now if you're 70 and a half or older you've got an even better opportunity uh, because you can do charitable, um, qualified charitable distributions. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time, but thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed your wealth so you can live greater life in retirement. Uh, this is more Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.